All right. I pray to you, Lord, my rock, do not turn a deaf ear to me. For if you are silent, I might as well give up and die. Listen to my prayer for mercy as I cry to you for help. As I lift my hands toward your holy sanctuary. Do not drag me away with the wicked, with those who do evil, those who speak friendly words to their neighbors while planning evil in their hearts. Give them the punishment they so richly deserve. Measure it out in proportion to their wickedness. Pay them back for all their evil deeds. Give them a taste of what they've done to others. They care nothing for what the Lord has done or for what his hands have made. So he will tear them down and they will never be rebuilt. Praise the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and shield. I trust him with all my heart. He helps me and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. The Lord gives his people strength. He is a safe fortress for his anointed king. Save your people. Bless Israel, your special possession. Lead them like a shepherd and carry them in your arms forever. Lord, carry us in your arms forever and help us tonight to do what? Burst out. Burst out with songs of thanksgiving. All right, so I don't even know what it means for you to burst out in songs, but whatever that means, give it a try. All right, we've got some, th- some, some songs of thanksgiving here. And so uh, let's burst out. It's in the Bible. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to change things up the, tonight. Traditionally, after, the, after this song, we would have communion and uh, sing another song, and then I'd preach, and we close out the service. Uh, I'm going to change things up. I, I, I just uh, I want to preach, and then uh, as I am done preaching, we'll, uh, we'll have communion and sing our last song, and we'll do it that way, and then we'll you know, still have opportunity to pray for people like we normally do. Actually, it's not a big deal, but I think it just it feels theologically better to me to do communion after the sermon. It feels like a response. Come to the table. Come to the altar. It's like an altar call for everybody. So anyway, uh, we're a traditional church. You think, no, we're not. We're not Anglican. We're not traditional. We are. We have traditions. I start every, uh, start every worship uh, time with a psalm. We typically sing four songs, have communion. I preach uh, or, or have communion after, uh, yeah, and uh, sing our fifth song, and then I preach, and then we close with prayer. We're just going to change those things. And, uh, you know, if it, if it upsets you that we change things, feel free to tell me. And I will, uh, I'll, I'll listen compassionately and probably not change my mind. <laughs> and uh, I had, uh, I had uh, an older couple in the Methodist church years ago, and they were complaining about the changes I was making in their service. And uh, this, these two older people were in my office, and one of them just looked at me frustrated and says, you just don't listen. And the other one goes, no, no, Bob, he listens. He's just not going to change. Said, yeah, her, what she said. I'm not that stubborn. If, if it works, if we do it better the other way, we'll go back. All right, so uh, I want to read to you tonight from Genesis 28. By the way, I, I discovered this morning as people are starting to read through the Bible um, obviously, we're not going to be able to cover the whole Bible. I mean, you know, last week I was in Genesis 3, 6, and 11. Tonight I'm in 28. There's vast, and, and Genesis, goodness, Genesis is so full. We could spend five years in Genesis alone. 
And so uh, people were like, well, wait, what about this? And what about this? And they had these questions. And I thought, well, we can't spend all Sunday morning doing Q&A. We could, but I don't want to. Uh, so I just said, if you, if you, as you're reading through the Bible, if questions arise, like uh, the questions this morning were, um, if Cain and Abel were Adam and Eve's son and Adam and Eve were the few, first humans, uh, who were their wives? How do they have wives and children? And it also said, when Cain, Cain said, you know, wherever I go, people are going to try to kill me. Well, who are all those other people? So I gave two, uh, tr- the two uh, Christian answers to those questions to the person. And, uh, you know, it's like, okay. Then another person was confused about the two Genesis creation stories, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And they say in Genesis 1, it says God made male and female. And in Genesis 2, he made Adam and Eve. So did he make male and female before Adam and Eve? Or were Adam and Eve the male and female and all that kind of stuff? And got to talk about really that Genesis uh, 1 and 2 are two creation accounts from two different perspectives that are melded together. And so we're able to answer some of those questions. So you can email me your questions. You can text me your questions. Uh, you can uh, listen anytime you want. You are absolutely free to have lunch with me, pay for the lunch, and ask me those questions. I will not, I will not stop you in that endeavor whatsoever. We can spend a long time talking about those questions. Uh, maybe even I'll pay. Who knows? All right, so tonight we're going to be in Jacob, and Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 22. Jacob's first encounter with God. He has two profound encounters with God. Uh, if you were at our men's Bible study Thursday night, you would, have, we would have, you would have heard about the second encounter. But now I'm going back to the first encounter. So, meanwhile, uh, and by the way, if your women are sitting there going, it's unfair, you know, we can't go to the men's Bible study. In today's culture, you probably can. You could simply just say, well, I identify as a man. And, I, and I'd, I'd pray for your deliverance, but I probably wouldn't kick you out that night. All right. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stop there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from, that reached from the earth up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going down, up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord. And he said, I'm the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. And the ground you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I'm with you. And I'll protect you wherever you go. One day I'll bring you back to this land. And I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I've promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God the very gateway to heaven. The next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone he had rested his head against, and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it. He named the place Bethel, which means house of God, and although it was, pre- although it was previously called Luz. Then Jacob made this vow, God, if you will be with me and protect me on this journey, and if you will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this is a memorial pillar I have set up and will, and, 
uh, it'll become a place for worshiping God, and I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. God, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. All right, so uh, Genesis chapters 12 through 50 are about the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Uh, and they're just, uh, they're, they're really a story, we just sang it, of God being a way maker and a promise keeper. It's a story of God keeping his covenant with fallible human beings. Abraham did a lot of good things, but he did some stupid things. And twice he tried to give away the covenant. Because God said, you are going to have a child through Sarah. And twice he gave away Sarah. Abraham would have made a terrible leading man in a Hollywood movie. Do anything you want to the woman, but leave me alone. There's your dream, fella. Girls. You know? Yeah. It's like Isaac did the same thing. And in both cases, in all three cases, God intervenes. And he intervenes not with Abraham and says, well, that was a weak thing to do, bro. He intervenes with the king who knew nothing about taking Sarah and just says, hey, you better give her back, man, or I'm going to curse you. And you better give you better when you give Abraham back, give him a bunch of sheep and goat and two and, and, and cattle and make him richer. And don't ever hurt him. What's that about? That's God saying, Abraham's my chosen vessel to carry the covenant, my promise, and I'm going to keep my promise, and not even Abraham can screw it up. Not even Isaac can screw it up. But if any one of the patriarchs could screw up God's promise, the hero now appears. It's Jacob. Jacob is the deceiver. Jacob is the conniver. Jacob is the wheeler, dealer, make things work out for myself on my own terms kind of fella. And he is fleeing in this story. He is fleeing his home, going to his uncle Laban's house, where his mother sent him, go back to my daddy's house, or my, my, my brother's house, go back to my brother's house, uh, because your other brother Esau wants to kill you. And here's why Esau wanted to kill Jacob. Because twice, conniver Jacob had robbed stupid Esau out of his blessing. First time it was his birthright. And Jacob did a terrible thing. He made Esau hand over his birthright as the firstborn son to him because Esau was hungry. Now, traditional hospitality says when your brother comes in from the field hungry, you feed him. You don't make him pay an exorbitant price of his birthright, which was an exorbitant price, for a bowl of stew. And so Jacob was a conniver. Esau was a knucklehead. That's a theological term. Uh, if Mark was here, he could give us the German translation. Esau was a knucklehead. You don't sell your birthright for a bowl of stew. And so both brothers are to blame, but Jacob's a stealer. And then what's even worse is he imposters Esau to get Esau's blessing, the, the blessing of the firstborn from his father Isaac. Jacob didn't need to do that. God had already promised that Jacob would be the inheritor of the covenant. And that because of that, Esau is so enraged, enraged that he wants to kill Jacob. And so Jacob's, Jacob, Esau's the daddy's boy. Jacob's the mommy's boy. And so mommy sends him away. And he goes away, and as he's going away, 
he has his first of two dramatic encounters with God. He comes to the place that will be known as Bethel. He lies down to sleep, and he is alone. And God appears to him in a dream. Heaven opens up. There's a ladder. All right? Uh, I have no idea what the great rock hit of the 70s that I used to listen to all the time. I have no idea what the lyrics of Stairway to Heaven mean. But in this case, there was a stairway to heaven. Maybe that's where Led Zeppelin got it. The rest of the song, I have no idea what it means. But angels are ascending and descending on this stairway, and Jacob sees the Lord, and the Lord speaks to him, and, uh, and Jacob has his first encounter with God. He's fleeing the familiar, and he's alone. If you want to have an encounter with God, God can encounter you in the familiar, and God can encounter you in the crowds, but if you're seeking to have an encounter with God, if you're seeking to know God more than just know stuff about God, because that's, there's a big difference in that, people. Theology is good, and I believe in theology, and I love theology, and I like to talk theology and all that, but I, but I realize this. Knowing stuff about God is not the same as knowing God. All right? Knowing stuff about God is not the same as knowing God. I just read and I'm rereading a biography of John Wimber. I know stuff about John Wimber. I never met him. I've never read a biography about Jill Clancy. But I know that woman. You know? I know. There are faces, moods, looks, gestures that mean stuff. Most of them mean life is good and your wife is happy. Some of them mean, go somewhere else for a while. But I know. I know. I've never read a book about Jill Clancy. I could write one, but I've never read one. All right? Jesus says some of the most chilling words in the New Testament when he says, depart from me, what? I never knew you. If you think theology is the key... Look at the devil. The devil would probably pass any theology exam. He knows stuff about God. But God wants to have an intimate relationship with us. And he wants to encounter us. There are a variety of ways that Christians have traditionally encountered God. They're called means of grace. You're doing one of them right now. You're attending a service of worship. You're listening to a teaching from the book of God, the Bible. And the Bible is a great way to encounter God. Prayer is a great way to encounter God. This table is a great way to encounter God. Ministry to the poor is a great way to encounter God. There's all sorts of means of grace, ways that Christians have traditionally found, fasting, that have traditionally found are ways to encounter God. But but never make the mistake that those things earn you an encounter. They don't. The river is already flowing. God is already there. He's already omnipresent. He already wants to encounter you. Those are simply ways that we stop and recognize and look for the encounter. And two ways that will help us encounter God is fleeing from the familiar and being alone. 
The Bible has a Sabbath. And in a way, the Sabbath is fleeing from the familiar. And I think at least for Christians, it's being alone. There's a, there's a part of the Sabbath. There's very much a part of the Sabbath that is about community and family. But there's another part of the Sabbath that is about being alone with God. In fact, I think we are, our spiritual disciplines have taught us that we should have actually a daily Sabbath. Not a 24-hour period, maybe only a 15-minute period, where we push aside this, the biggest destroyer, maybe the biggest destroyer of a relationship with God ever invented, unless you're looking at Bible verses. We push aside this. We close the doors. Susanna Wesley raised 18 children. Karen, did you hear that? Yeah, I did. 18 children. You got it, sister. That's exactly where I was going. Every day she told the kids, don't bug me, and she would put an apron over her head, and she would, what? Leave the familiar of the noise of 18 children and be alone with God. And she raised world changers. World changers. So Jacob wasn't looking for an encounter, but he got one. Why? Because God is faithful. God is faithful. Jacob didn't earn this encounter. He was a conniver. And yet God then articulates to Jacob, reinstates the promise to him. Jacob has an open heaven over him. He has an open heaven over him in the dream. Heaven opens up. There are angels all around. I bet there's more angels in this room than people. Not always hard at the Firehouse Church to guess that. Uh, Would it be someday where that would be hard to guess because the room was so full? It's like, really? More angels than people? But enough said about that. If you each got a guardian angel and then there's one spare, we got more angels here and here than people. There are angels all around us. I've never seen an angel. Uh, I've never seen an angel not in disguise. I may have encountered an angel in disguise, or more than one. I don't know. But I've never seen, I don't know for sure, but I, I've never seen, you know, an angel in all of its glory. I've never woken up at 3 o'clock in the morning and had this blazing seraph, uh, seraphim next to my bed saying, I've got a message, uh, I've got a message uh, from God to you, son. But first, fear not. Yeah. They, and it's just, you know, the Bible is inerrant. I get it. But it shouldn't say that. It should say, stop being a scared. Stop fearing. Uh, I think that's what it means. Because it's like, fear not is too late, right? It's too late. So, all right. So. I've never seen that. Anybody ever seen that? The, the, the bright, shining seraphim? The, yeah, yeah. I'll bet you will. That's, I don't know if that's a prophecy or just a guess. You get that little prayer house, you might get a visitation. All right. Maybe I ought to get a visitation. Out there with the pigs. All right, so... We have an open heaven. The Old Testament is always a shadow, is always a foretelling, it's always a foretaste. It's, it's like going to the movie and seeing the trailer of the next movie that's coming out. And, and so there's a trailer here of an open heaven. But in Mark, when Jesus is baptized, it said the heavens opened up, the heavens tore open, and the Holy Spirit came down. Guess what? That tear is not going away, it's only getting bigger. 
you and I live under an open heaven. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit comes on a particular person at a particular time for a particular task in a particular place. But in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Pinch yourself. Are you flesh? Or better yet, pinch your sister. Are you flesh? Then you are able to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit because Jesus broke open heaven and poured it out. Uh, I find the older I get, the more critical I become an old man. Like when I was a young man, all the old men complained about us young men because we had long hair. Like, what are you trying to look like a girl? You have long hair. I went to my my grandson's basketball game, and these coaches were all wearing these tapered sweatpants where they just tapered down really narrowly toward the end. And they were lifted up, and so they looked like capris. And they were wearing these, you know, $400 pair of tennis shoes with no socks. And I'm just like, I'm just like grumpy old man. What are you, trying to look like girls? And I told my wife, I said, hey, get me a pair of those capris. She says, no, I'm not going to get you those capris. (laughs) You're not going to wear those. So I should. I should just wear those men capris, you know. So uh, uh, what was my point on that? I don't know. Yep, 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 all of that. Um, Open heaven. Oh, got it. Thank you. Another fashion, yeah, the other fashion craze that has driven me nuts over the years is, is pants with holes already in them. And you pay more for those jeans, ladies. You pay more for jeans with holes already in them. It's like, you look like poppers. Every time I see this, like, you want me to buy you a proper pair of pants, you know? My mom used to sew these old, ugly patches on my pants when they got holes in them. And here's my point. I got a biblical point on this. When that hole is there, it never gets smaller. Once you got a hole in your jeans, they don't get smaller. Those holes only get bigger, right? Once you got a tear, the tear does not repair itself. It just gets more tear. That's why my mom would sew a patch on it, to stop the tear from continuing to expand because she was not a prophet and didn't know in 2023 that, uh, that it would be fashionable to look like you were impoverished and couldn't afford jeans. And, you know, that would be the deal. So, once God tore open heaven and poured out his Holy Spirit on his son Jesus, that heaven is never closed. You and I live under an open heaven. What does that mean? The curtain in the temple has been torn from top to bottom. We have access to God. Don't don't hear that and go, meh. That's huge. Jesus said, you can go to God and say, our Father, Daddy, Daddy, dear God, creator of everything, magnificent one, holy one, blazing light, unapproachable holiness and power and goodness and love. And Jesus says, with me, with me by your side, you can walk into that throne room and you will find grace and mercy for every time of need because we now live under an open heaven and there's angels all around us. And so then God speaks to Jacob and he identifies himself as the God of his fathers. In other words, I'm your, I'm your tribe. I'm your tribe's God. Remember the Elohim. Everybody had their own gods, but God said, nope. Me. Me. No Baal, no Asherah, no Molech. Your grandpa Abraham was a great man. Why? Because he believed in me. 
Your father Isaac believed in me. Jacob, I'm now inviting you. Conniver, deceiver, runawayer. I'm now inviting you to believe in me. And here's what I'm going to do for you. I will be with you always. I will protect you. I will bless you immensely. And I'm giving you the same promise I gave to your grandfather and father that you will inherit this land and your descendants will cover the face of the earth. That's huge. Today there are 2 billion Christians. Dear ones, I don't know if you know that, but we are the descendants of Abraham. The New Testament says that. The New Testament doesn't say that ethnic Jews now are the descendants of Abraham. Nothing against ethnic Jews. I'm not being anti-Semitic. I'm just saying the New Testament says that if you believe in Jesus, you've now become a child of Abraham. There are two billion. And I hope in my lifetime there'll be another two billion. It's coming true. It's still happening. It's still happening. The descendants are still growing. And I will give this to you. I will be with you. You will have my presence. You will have my protection. And I'll bless you. So even when you do something stupid that has no scientific basis, has nothing to do with the fertility of goats, but even when you put peeled poplar sticks in the water, which is your superstition, I'll bless that. And your, your herd of goats will increase over that of Laban who, by the way, is a lot like you, Jacob. He's a deceiver. He's a player, not with the women, but with the business. He's a, what do you, what do you call that? He's a, he's a, I mean, I think used car salesmen get a bad rap. There are probably some good ones out there, but he's a used car salesman. Lawyers get a bad rap. Everybody picks on lawyers. Nobody likes lawyers till you need one. All right, but uh, he's a con, maybe a con man, a, a flim-flam, you know. Changes his, not a man of his word. There, we got it. Ding, 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 the winner. All right. And God promises his blessing, his presence, and his protection. And he says, I will bring you back. And now here's Jacob's response. It's not great. It could be worse. He could have been a modern uh, atheistic philosophy professor at a modern university and had this profound experience with God and say, well, that was probably just a, uh, a projection of my early childhood wishes. And, of course, there was nothing real about it because we know that that stuff is all fairy tale. And so I won't pay any attention to it. Could have done that. He was better than that. He said, wow, God's in this place. That was awesome. That was awesome. He's impressed by the encounter. But he's still not a man of faith. How do we know he's not a man of faith? Look at his last statement. If you do everything you promised, if you bring me back to this land, if you give me descendants, if you protect me, if you bless me, then you'll be my God. And then, and it's interesting, his, his statement to prove that God will be his God is then I will tithe. By the way, tithing isn't about the money, people. Tithing isn't about the money, and this is, don't worry, I'm not going to turn this into a money sermon. Though I don't even think this crowd would mind it, but I am not the preacher who begs for money. I'm just not. 
I think those of you who've been around a while, you know that, all right? I'm, not, I'm never digging into your pockets. Uh, and here, here's my deal. God doesn't need your money. And we really don't need your money. I mean, this church, if it keeps going, yeah, your money helps. But if you stop giving and the church dies, guess what? The kingdom of God will continue to advance on the earth. But you need to give your money if you want to be a person of faith. Because we are sorely tempted to trust our money. And we're sorely tempted to be like Jacob. God, if you bless me, I'll tithe. I tell people, tithe when you're poor. I can't afford to. I don't think you can afford not to. And I, I tell you this. This is true. I don't know of any other pa- I think that other pastors do this. And people frown on this, and I do it kind of as a joke. But I'll give you a money-back guarantee. All right? If you, if you start opening up your wallet and giving generously, and you happen to give generously to this ministry, and, and you know, two months down the road, you go, man, that just wrecked me. I, I just lost, you know, I'm going hungry now. I can't pay my rent. My family's starving. I'll give you, we'll give you your money back. Chaos. We'll give them their money back. All right? Don't want you to starve. Don't want you to, you know. But here's the thing. I never met anybody who said that. Here's what I've met. People who say, man, I couldn't believe what happened when I started giving. I had more peace in my life. I had more joy in my life. I found out what Jesus said was actually true. It's better to give than to re- receive. And, uh, and God, God has still met my needs. I'm okay. I'm doing fine. That's the story I hear. So I used to tell people, I used to be a mean hellfire and brimstone pe- preacher, and whenever I'd preach on money, my sermon was, Tyler, go to hell. And the point of that was, here's the point of that. It was not legalistic, but the point of that was, if God doesn't own your wallet, he doesn't own your heart. But now, my testosterone levels have dropped. I'm a gentle, kind old man. I cry at TV commercials. I'm just a sweet old grandpa now. And so now I just tell people, never met an unhappy tither. You want to be happy? I don't know what all the keys to happiness are. I know most of them, you know. Marry the right person. Serve the right God. Be generous. Probably this one I don't follow. I think one of the great keys to happiness is don't be a sports fan. It'll break your heart. It'll break your heart. Uh, But anyway, keys to happiness. Jacob still wasn't a man of faith. He still wasn't a man of faith. God is still, he's real. Jacob knows he's real. But God is still what? The God of his father Isaac and the God of his grandfather Abraham. And Jacob spends 21 years serving another deceiver in chaos, in family chaos and business chaos. He spends 21 years of his life until God gives him another encounter. He, has a, he, he leaves Laban, and as he leaves Laban, Laban catches up with him with Laban's army, and, Laban, and, and Jacob stands up to Laban, and so Laban doesn't kill Jacob and take all Jacob's, you know, his daughters back and his grandchildren back and all his possessions back or all the things he claimed were his possessions that Jacob had actually legitimately earned. Laban doesn't take any of them back, but he sets up a boundary and says, listen, never cross this boundary again. Jacob goes, okay. So the way back is shut to him. And now he's going forward, and he hears that Esau is coming. He sends out a couple men to greet Esau, and Esau has 400 men with him. Last time Jacob saw Esau, Esau was saying, I'm going to kill you. Now he's got 400 men. I can't go back. Laban will kill me. I'm going forward. I think Esau's going to kill me. 
And Jacob devises this whole scheme to appease his brother. Didn't need to. His brother had already been appeased by God. Uh, he didn't need to appease his brother, but he devises this whole scheme. And once again, he's alone. God meets with him, wrestles with him, cripples his hip. And Jacob holds on to God desperately. And says, bless me. And God says, all right. I've been wanting to bless you for the last 30 years, boy. Now I'll bless you. It's very interesting. At that moment, God says to Jacob, what's your name? You know, the last time somebody asked him that, his father Isaac, and he lied. My name's Esau. Now God asks him, what's your name? And Jacob says, I'm Jacob. God says, you're Israel. Give me a new name. Why? You wrestle with God, man. You know what? What what do you want to be? Do you want to be one of those people that makes God's job easy or hard? Some of you out there, maybe me included, we make God's job hard. We wrestle with him. He wants to bless us, and we're like, no, I'm going to do it my way. I'm I'm smarter than you. I'm, I'm more clever than you, God. I got a better plan than you. And sometimes it takes one encounter to make us men and women of faith. But sometimes, as with Jacob, it takes more than one. He had two encounters with God. Have you encountered God? And if you have, have you become a person of faith? Not just believing the right stuff about him, but believing in him, loving him, having a relationship with him. I come from, uh, I played sports as a kid, and I come from old school coaching. All right? Old school coaching, different than coaching now. All right? All the coaches that I grew up with would have gotten fired. They put hands on you. I had one coach who had no problem putting his foot squarely on your buttocks with some force if you messed up. He'd kick you in the, yeah. I had coaches who would grab my collar, get right in my face and yell at me with spit coming out of their mouths. I had one coach. I wasn't even on the team. I wasn't even on the team. And the team didn't have a quarterback. And I'd tried out for quarterback the previous year, and he didn't let me be quarterback. So I didn't try the next year, my eighth grade year. I thought, well, I'm just not going to go out for football. I'll just play basketball. I like basketball better. He didn't have a quarterback, and I had a couple friends who were on the team, and they were like, oh, Clancy's a good quarterback. Clancy can play quarterback. And he watched me in PE, and he thought, yeah, he can play quarterback. And so I'm walking out of school one day. I'm walking out of class. This coach walks up to me and says, Clancy, why aren't you getting suited up for football practice? Oh, coach, I'm not going out for football this year. He put his elbow on my chest, pinned me up against the wall, and started applying pressure with his other hand. He says, I said, why aren't you going out for football practice? I'll get my suit on, coach. All right, good, Clancy. Played quarterback that year. Had fun, but still. We had no HR department to go to. It's like, oh, the coach hurt me. Just That was the way it was. And here's what coaches did back in the day. All right, school counselors, you go to school counselors, they say, well, why don't you try this, or why don't you try that, or why don't you try that? Very compassionate, very listening, very understanding, give you different options of ways to solve your problems. Coaches... They had one option to solve your problem back in the day. 
Take a lap. That was it. That was their therapy. Take a lap. I don't want to take a lap. Shouldn't have, shouldn't have backtalked to me. Take two laps. And you know when you take a lap, there was no walking. There was no walking in our laps. Nobody could walk. That was just a good way to get that foot placed in that place that it was the last time you tried to walk during a lap. You had to run during your lap. That was, that was, that, that was therapy for everything. Well, I'm not saying God's an old school coach, and I'm not saying all that was good. I think some of that could have been abusive. On the other hand, I think, you know, culture's kind of like a drunk man on a horse. We may have fallen off the side of oversensitivity in our age. Just maybe, you know, maybe. So, whatever. I'm not making any statement on that. What I am saying is some, some people like Jacob need to take another lap. Some people like Jacob need to take another lap. But you know what? If you leave the door open, you'll have another encounter. God will get you when you're alone again. Because his desire is that you be a part of his forever family. He gave Jacob promises. Jacob finally believed the promises. Have you believed the promises? Do you believe that neither life nor death, angels nor demons, the present nor the future, nor height nor depth can separate you from the love of Christ? Do you believe your sins are forgiven? Do you believe we're playing a game we've already won? Do you believe the future is glorious and the troubles of this life, though hard as they are, cannot be compared to the glory to be revealed in us and through us? Do you believe that God is a good, good father? Remember that song? We used to sing it all the time. We'll bring it back. I remember when that song was really popular. I think it was around 2017, 2018. Everybody was singing that song. Remember? That was just the, 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 the praise song. And I was down in Arizona with my brother-in-law and sister and Jill, and we're driving around, and we saw one of those church signs, you know, and it was cute. It said, there's a good, good chance we'll sing good, good father this Sunday. <laughs> I bet they did. All right. Do we know his presence, his protection, his blessing? I know he's omnipresent, but do we lean into it with the means of grace, expecting that God will meet us? And let me tell you something, dear ones. We all have our individual walk with God. Never compare your walk with God with somebody else's, either negatively or positively. This, this must be stated in churches like ours, where sometimes physical manifestations happen. Sometimes people fall. Sometimes people shake. And, and there can be this thing where people think, that's more spiritual. That's a legitimate encounter. And if you don't have that, you, you haven't had an encounter. That's, that's, I edited, balderdash. How's that for a word? It's not true. It's not true. You have, God is so precious and he's so good. He knows who you are as his child. And like any good parent, designs the parenting for that child. You can't parent your kids the same, all right? Jacob and Isaiah, they're not the same boy. They're very different. Love them both. They're different, all right? Sydney and Sophia, they're different, all right? One of them is more different than the other. I'm not going to tell you which one. <laughs> you girls can just worry about it tonight. Oh, so. 
Sydney, she just threw you under the bus so quick. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. All right. And Sean, neither one of you are Sean. Not even close. All right. Different. Though Megan and Mark are pretty similar. Didn't even get a rise out of her. Oh, there's a smile. There's a smile. Yeah. I thought maybe the head would come up for a second from the knitting. No, you're, you're pretty different, Megan. All right. So, God will deal with each one of his children according to what's best for them and what works best for them. Never compare your story with somebody else's story. You just encounter God the way you encounter God. And be open to God encountering you in new ways. You can do it. But it's not how you encounter God. It's that you encounter God. Listen. Dreams, visions, prophecies, Bible. All good. All good. I put the Bible at the top of the list. But the Bible... Speaks of dreams, visions, and prophecy. I encountered God once through a billboard. A billboard. I went to a, I went to a conference to get, to get an encounter with God. And it was one of those charismatic conferences in the midst of revival, and one of these powerful charismatic leaders was leading the conference, and people were coming forward at the end, and people were praying for him, and they were going down under the power of the Spirit. And finally I went up, and the guy prayed for me, and nothing happened physically. And you could tell he was disappointed, and I was disappointed. People down on my right, down on my left, flopping and shaking. Man, I wanted, to, I wanted that power. I wanted, that, I wanted to be anointed with power to do the ministry of Jesus. And I didn't feel nothing. The guy gave me a few vague prophecies. You know what I mean by vague prophecies? They're true at all times and all seasons. Hey, I really sense that God loves you, and you're in a new season. Great. Great, that's specific, you know. You know, if you tell me, you know, uh, a, a bus is going to break down outside of my church and 30 people are going to come in and all come to Jesus next Sunday, that is a testable prophecy. God loves you and it's a new season. Okay. Thanks for the encouragement. And that's encouraging. There's nothing wrong with saying that, but to call it prophecy is a stretch. So anyway, he, he, you know, and I'm driving home and I am so... Mad. I'm mad at God. I drove two and a half hours to this conference, driving home in my little truck, and I used the word fine with God. Not fine like, oh, everything is so fine, God. I use the word fine like sometimes husbands here, their wives use the word fine. So I, here I'm telling God, I'm saying, fine. I'll be a mediocre pastor in a mediocre church with mediocre power. Fine. If that's what you want, Fine, God. And God did not smite me dead. Probably had every right to, but it would have caused a traffic. Other people might have died. It would have been bad. He didn't smite me dead. Instead, immediately my eyes were transfixed on a huge billboard from a bank. And that was in the day when generic was popular. And it was really cool to just put, like we do, because we're old school, black letters on a white sign. People would have, you know, just white T-shirts with black letters. And it was like, you know, nothing, nothing uh, hyped. And it was popular back then to do marketing generically. And so there was this white sign with these black letters. And I remember it was a bank, but I have no idea why the bank was giving this message out. But here's what the black letters on the white sign said. Remember, remember my fine. God, I'm going to be a mediocre pastor in a mediocre church 
with no power, fine. I look up and this sign written in black letters on this big billboard as I'm driving past, it says this, you have more power than you think. And immediately, Holy Spirit comes into my car and he doesn't smite me dead. So you don't have to fall. You don't have to shake. Son, you have more power than you think. And i got to tell you, my attitude changed instantly because I had an encounter with God through a bank advertising sign. The rest of the drive home, I was using the word fine like this. God, you are so fine. I have more. And I, I, was, I was actually saying this as I'm driving. Got more power than I think. Got more power than I think transform. God spoke to me. Listen, I don't know how other, how, I, I don't go around preaching to people to have an experience with God. You need to find your billboard. No. You just need to believe in a God who wants to communicate with you and encounter you and he will in a way that you'll get and you'll understand and you'll experience and it'll be fine. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance and give you peace. And Lord, one way that you have encountered your children through the ages is by inviting them to your table. It's not the church's table. It's not the preacher's table. It is the body and the blood of of the new covenant of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we want to encounter you in your hospitality. We want to encounter you in your amazing grace, your power, so that we can live next week being your disciples, your servants, your ministers. You want to encounter us with your mercy so we can take the sins the mistakes, the rebellious acts, and just the foolish acts where we weren't thinking. And we can lay them all underneath the blood and be forgiven. And all of that is represented here in this simple meal, and it's at your invitation we come. And so I invite you to come forward. Holy Spirit, apply the truths of this simple meal into the very fabric of our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.